Amen. What a wonderful, wonderful beginning to our worship time together. Over this weekend, one of the great blessings of this congregation is the incredible mighty men of service who form our deaconship. The eldership, uh, several months ago, if not a year ago, had been planning a time to where we could study together deacons and elders and those preparing their lives to be deacons and their wives, how we better serve the congregation, how we better serve our community, how we better seek and save the lost. We asked Aubrey Johnson and his wife Lisa to come and join us for a weekend, and we spent a wonderful day yesterday delving into the Word and seeing what God wants of us as leaders of this congregation. Aubrey means the world to me. He was my youth minister when I was a teenager, very important in my spiritual formation as a young person. Aubrey went on to equip himself academically to speak uh, very powerfully on principles of leadership, but he did that because of his love for the Lord's church and his desire to see strong leadership helping the church to grow spiritually, numerically. He preached for many years in the Atlanta area and also is currently preaching as the pulpit minister of the Old Hickory Church of Christ in Nashville, Tennessee. And he came and, uh, and helped us yesterday in a mighty way, and we appreciate so much all of the input that he has given. He has actually written about 20 books to help the church to grow and to help our leaders know how to grow and to lead. And we're thankful for your life of service and your ministry, Aubrey. Come share with us God's Word this morning. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you today and with some old friends here that uh, I've enjoyed. Uh, Brian Davis, he hasn't changed. He's exactly the same person he was as a teenager. He's the real deal, except for he's dyed his hair. <laughs> I mean, other than that, he's, he's just the same. I'm a, grateful for him and his work as an evangelist, his work as an educator. I'm especially thankful for his work as an elder, but also as an encourager. Isn't he just an encouraging person to be around? So I'm thankful for Brian and and all that he's done, you knew he was going to do well. He was just that kind of person. And I'm also grateful for Eric. Eric is just a dynamic preacher in the Atlanta area. He was always looked up to. He's the first person you wanted on your summer series to hold a gospel meeting. He's kind of a preacher's preacher. And uh, thankful for you, Eric. I'd like to bottle just a little bit of his dynamism and take that home. I'm not very dynamic, but, but uh, I just appreciate his passion. It's almost like a warm fire. You can kind of warm up around Eric, can't you? He's going to get you excited and get you fired up. As we get started this morning, I'm going to share a statement with you, and I want you to remember it. Now, sometimes when you get out of a lesson, not Eric's lessons, but I know sometimes you get out of a sermon and you can't remember, what was that sermon about? Somebody asks you the next day, well, let me, let me think about it. I'm going to tell you something, a statement, and I want you to remember it. We're going to come back to it in the sermon, but maybe you'll remember it even beyond today. 
maybe beyond this year. This is something I hope goes with you the rest of your life. And here's the statement. Are you ready? The measure matters. Okay, you got it? The measure matters. What we're going to be talking about today is love. We're going to be talking about leadership because you can't lead well if you don't love well. And so we're going to try to tie those together. And you may think I'm not an elder or a deacon. I'm not a leader, but you are. Every person, no matter how old, you're leading. No matter how young, you're leading. You have an influence. You're making a difference. And so we want to maximize our influence by becoming more loving people. And I'll be talking about marriage in, in particular, but I think it applies to a just relationships as a whole. So I hope the principles apply for every one of us. To get started, I want you to remember what I think is maybe the greatest verse in all of the Bible. It's in the midst of the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. The greatest sermon that was ever preached. Yeah, the greatest, the greatest. Jesus gives us what's called the golden rule. And the golden rule is very, very special. I like to say it's an app. Does anybody have apps on their phone? Okay, you use it for navigation. You use it as a flashlight. I don't know. You use it for a thousand different things. You have music apps. You have your Bible app. Anybody have a Bible app on, on your, okay, hands going up. The golden rule is an app. Apps are mobile applications. So we have the great commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. But this is a condensed app, a mobile app. Okay, I need to love God. How do I do that? I need to love my neighbor. How do I do that? Remember this verse. Remember this verse. And it's going to help you apply the gospel to your life and to bring your influence to bear in the lives of others. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And when he says whatever, isn't that a great place to start whatever? Because sometimes you have teachings that have very specific, remote applications. And Jesus says, hey, this is going to work all over in your life. It's going to work in all of your relationships. It's not just in one scenario, not just one situation. Use this rule all the time, everywhere, whatever. It works. In your marriage? Oh, yeah. You want to have a golden anniversary? <laughs> Live by the golden rule. It works. Whatever you, Jesus says you. What do you mean? You mean that the average person can take this and apply it? You mean I don't have to have a, a doctorate, a master's, a college education? I don't even have to have a high school diploma. I can do this? Whatever you, you can, Jesus says, meet the demands of life by living by this rule. Whatever you 
wish. Whatever you wish. What's the key here? He says, well, you have the equipment. God has given you the ability to imagine. The ability to imagine is important because the number one skill set in the Christian life is empathy. The number one skill set. In the book of Philippians chapter uh, 2 and verses 3 and 4, it tells us not to do anything out of conceit or selfish ambition, that we need to look out for others' interests and not just our own. We need to consider one another, think about one another. That's the key to marriage. I need to think about what she would want but also what I would want in that circumstance. Being able to project into her life, into her mind, for her heart to beat in my chest. See, that's the key. So whatever you wish, in fact, your happiness in life is limited only by your ability to imagine new ways to bring joy to your loved ones. Bring joy into the life of another person. And I, I can't help but think about the Mideast, all the horrible things. Have you been praying about that? All the horrible things going on. And you wonder, how could people do that? On the anniversary there of this Yom Kippur war to come out and, and to just take weapons and go around massacring people, how do you get up in the morning and think about who you want to kill today or how you want to kill somebody today, how you can inflict pain on others? Instead, this mind that God gave us, we can use it. It's a tool. You get to use it. You get to choose. And he says, imagine how you're going to bring joy to your spouse, to your parents, to the church, to your workplace, to your classmates. Just imagine. And he says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do. Where's the blessing? Doing. Not just imagining, not just thinking. It is doing. Do it to them. Do good to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, to me, that last part is pretty incredible. Because the Bible, it's got a lot of information in here, doesn't it? And maybe you've been intimidated by it sometimes. Have you ever been intimidated? There's so much teaching, so much instruction, so many commands. But what does he say here? He says this mobile app can be summed up in the golden rule. The great commandment teaches us how to share and apply the love of God in the lives of other people. So the law, that's the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's a lot of words in those books, a lot of information. He says, yeah, but the essence of everything in the law is this, love. And love by doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. Use your imagination project and think about what can be. He says it's not only the law, 
Let's take the rest of the Bible. Let's take all of the books of prophecy, the major and the minor prophets. Let's take the whole thing. The essence of every biblical commandment has to do with your relationship with God and your relationship with your fellow man created in the image of God. It doesn't mean that all those other commands are unimportant. It's why they're important. It's why they're important. So this is the essence. Hey, that's great. This is a great universal tool that I can utilize in my marriage today. And Jesus not only stated it in the positive, but he also, he also, knowing our need and knowing our nature, decided to give it to us in the negative. Have you ever done that? Said something in the positive? And then you said, but don't do this. Do this. Don't do this. So in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, we find Jesus giving us a detailed explanation of the golden rule stated in the op opposite. He says, judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? Judge not. I think Jesus knew that the number one temptation that we face in life we always think about a lot of different moral issues, but the number one that we face in life is to criticize. It's low-hanging fruit. To get up in the morning and just to spotlight the faults of others. You know, it's just no way to live. It's no way to have a marriage. You know, there's not a day when Lisa gets up that if she wants to, she can't find something in my life that needs fixing. Because I got a lot that needs fixing. And if she wants to fixate on that and obsess on that and criticize on that every day, she could. There's plenty of material. Plenty of material. But instead, I don't know why, I don't know how, it's, it's the power of God. She loves an imperfect Aubrey, and she works to help bring out the best in me. She does it with her example, and she does it with her encouragement. And so, as a congregation, this is a great thing for us to remember, not to get caught up in negativity and criticism about everything that displeases us, but to train our minds. Here's our default mindset. Judge not. Don't get obsessed and critical and negative. Judge not. And here he explains why. Judge not and you shall not be judged. What happens if I judge Lisa? She's going to judge me. It's just a natural human instinct. Maybe she would resist it, but, but it's a natural, natural human instinct. Don't condemn because what will your spouse do? condemn you. It's called the law of reciprocity. As a man sows, so shall he also reap. Cause and effect, sowing and reaping. And Jesus wants us to understand this. So instead, we're wanting to imagine what good we can do and how we can bless people and bring joy to them and serve them rather than criticize them 
and condemn them. It's not going to produce what you want in your life. And he goes on to give us the opposite. So, instead of judging and condemning, judging and condemning, and, you know, you may be correct. There may be a fault in the other person's life, something that needs to be changed. Uh, but be careful. Because when you spend your time criticizing, you have the opposite effect of what you intended. Opposite effect. That you end up with people resenting and retaliating. Resenting and, and reciprocating instead of producing the positive change, instead of incentivizing change, instead of inspiring change. So what do you need to do? Don't judge, don't condemn. Jesus says, here's what you need to do. Forgive. And you will be forgiven. If judgment provokes judgment, grace evokes grace. As we sow, so shall we also reap. So the idea here is that you and I need to get off of the negativity merry-go-round, where we just take turns. I criticize her, she criticizes me. You find fault, I'll find fault. And it's a merry-go-round of unhappiness and discontent and you want to get off. How do I get off? I need to forgive. Maybe your spouse makes a repair attempt. Maybe they smile at you. Maybe they fix a nice meal for you. Maybe they put a card, you know, in your lunch. I don't know. They make a repair attempt. Receive it. Receive it enthusiastically. But if they don't make a repair attempt, what are you going to do? Go first. Be the best person first. When Jesus came and died for us, he died for the unrighteous. We don't love for any other reason than this, because he first loved us. And so you need to go first, because that's what you want. And I can't get what I don't give. If I give insults, I'm going to get insults. If I give anger, I'm going to get anger. If I give forgiveness, maybe we can share in forgiveness. Well, he goes on to say, give and it will be given to you. That's the law of life. That's the law of reciprocity. It comes to us in kind. And he tells us, it will be given to you in good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Just an expression here of, uh, of how the grain would be shared, and you shake it, you press it down, there's always more that you can get. And I think one thing he's telling us is this, that when you think you don't have anything else to give, you probably do. When you think there's no more room, there probably is. So don't give up, but rather dig down deeper. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, 
This is, by the way, he's saying what you can receive. Give, and it will be given to you. Do you want it like this? Do you want love like this? Do you want forgiveness like this? Understanding like this? Do you want respect like this? Not a little bit of respect, a little bit of grace. But if you want it in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, just like David said in Psalm 23, verse 5, my cup runs over. If you want that in your life, if you want that put or poured, as some translations say, into your lap, then what do you need to do? The key to the entire section of Scripture is found in verse 38. What did we say at the beginning of the message? If you don't remember anything else today, remember this. The measure matters. This is the key to the success. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It's not just what you do. It's the measure in what you do. It's the degree in what you do. So I've got to be careful. Number one, I don't want to withhold forgiveness. If I withhold, for, I want forgiveness and I'm withholding forgiveness. Does that make any sense to you? I can't get what I don't give. When I withhold forgiveness, it traps me in negativity. It doesn't feel good. And it provokes resentment on the part of my spouse. And then she feels justified in hurting me because I hurt her. He says, no, don't, don't withhold. Instead, give what you would want if you were the one who made the mistake, talked out a turn, committed the transgression. What would you want? Cut some slack. Give some grace. Be patient. Be kind. And it's not just what you do, but it is the measure in which you do it. Because a lot of times we end up with half measures. The key to a happy marriage is this. To give more rather than less. In fact, I, one of those books that I wrote is called Love More, Sin Less. The key is to, to love more, to overcome all of those difficulties and problems. So when somebody hurts me, I withhold my love and we're stuck. What if Jesus is on the cross and men have crucified him and they have falsely accused him? They had false witnesses against him. It's, it's a rigged trial. It's an unfair death, terrible cruelty. And on the cross, he loved more rather than less. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And sometimes, well, if you knew what she said to me, if you knew what he did, who is our example? It's Christ. And he teaches us to love more rather than less. When people misbehave, when they're not at their best, when they've wounded us, when they disappoint us, don't stop loving Love more, not less. And when you do, 
you will receive more and not less. So the point is, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, we are to sow bountifully. Don't sow sparingly. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. We know that with the gospel. If you want to have converts, go out and teach more people. You teach more people, more interactions, more prayers, more results. And when we want love in our marriage, do more, not just a little bit, do more. When you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, no limits. It's not, it's not just a little bit, but it's abundant and bountiful and overflowing more and more love, then that increases the opportunities for me to enjoy happiness in my life and in my marriage. And when I feel like I don't have anything to give, just remember this next, next verse. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can forgive them. I don't think I can get over this. Wait a minute. God is able to make it possible. All grace abound to you so that you'll have all sufficiency no matter what they've done, in all things, at all times, that you may abound in every good. You can do this. You can do this because you are divinely enabled to live a life of love taught by Christ, inspired by the example of Christ. You can do this. Sometimes we think, I've already done too much. But how much did Jesus do? Husbands, you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Gave himself. If that's the model, if that's the standard, can you say you've done more than Christ? You're to love her proactively, sacrificially, sincerely, intensely, graciously, You need to dig down a little deeper because God will supply what you need to forgive and to move forward. What we end up doing or trying in our marriage relationships is what I call the inch-by-inch inch method, that when somebody has hurt me in, in this marriage relationship, what I want to do is it's like when you get in the water and it's cold outside. Maybe it's in the early spring. It's not really warmed up enough yet. You go over to the pool and you put your what in? You put your toe in. It's a little chilly. Maybe it's a little early to be in the water. And then after you put your toe in, what do you put in next? Maybe my foot. Get up to the ankle. And then slowly and painfully... You know, I, I work my way down into the water. Maybe it's better to jump in. Maybe, possibly it's better. I know it hurts, but you go ahead, you jump in. And what I want to suggest is that when you have a difficulty in this relationship, sometimes 
what you need to do is to just dive in. Dive in, not just head first, but heart first. Because when you try half measures, well, I'm going to forgive just a little, and I want to see how you do. See if you measure up. I'm just going to try a little. That inch by inch method is fraught with danger. Let me explain it to you real quick. What you're doing is bargaining for love. And it's based on scorekeeping. All right? A good thing, bad thing. What does scorekeeping require but judging? And what does judging lead to but condemning? What I want to suggest to you is if you try this method, it is bound to fail. It is bound to fail because your spouse is imperfect. And they will, they will have times when they're not at their best. When, I, when I'm doing counseling with young couples, I have them hold hands and I say, I want you to look into each other's eyes and repeat after me, okay? I will hurt you. So what are you talking about? You know, they're thinking about all of the bliss and joy and wonders of marriage. But it won't take long, will it? It may not be intentional. I have to admit, there have been times when I was mad and maybe I wanted to hurt Lisa a little. I'm not proud of that. That's not honorable. I hope I've matured beyond that. But, but there are times when you're hurting and you snap back at somebody. Those moments are going to come. What are you going to do? They hurt me. I'm out of here. They hurt me. I'm going to pay them back. I want my pound of flesh. No. That's not what we're taught in Scripture. So that inch-by-inch inch method with half measures. I think what people are doing when they try this inch-by-inch inch method, I'll give you a little forgiveness. I'll give you a little rope. We'll give this a little try. They're really saying, I don't think this is going to work. It's not really about reconciliation. It's about self-justification. I want to be able to say I tried. So I say it. I tried, you failed. Oh, I really feel special now. I tried, I did, you failed. I can tell you before you ever start, if you're in a marriage, there are times you get hurt. And Jesus left us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. You know the specific application in that verse? That we can suffer as he suffered. He left us an example. We use preachers, we use it for everything. And I think by principle we can and should. But the specific application is that Jesus left us an example that when you love people, you will suffer and you will not stop loving them. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. What makes you a disciple? It's what you do. Were you baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins? Unless and until you do, you're not truly his disciple. Are you living according to his teachings? Are you just a hearer or a doer? But he says, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I love this verse. 
I love this verse because I think one of the things he's telling us is not only that the truth of the gospel tells us about Jesus and his sacrifice and his blood that takes away our sins. That's true. We learn the truth about our souls. We learn the truth about heaven. We learn the truth about salvation. We learn the truth about, about worship. We learn the truth about many things, including marriage. But I think he's also saying we learn the truth about ourselves. Because I can be unhappy in a marriage, and I can think it's all her fault. And maybe it's not all her fault, because there's something that I've done that's created a reaction. Maybe it was my tone. Maybe it was that look of contempt. Maybe it was that smug expression on my face that just irritated her. And the things that I'm saying, the things I'm doing, or the way that I do them, even if un unintentional, is creating a response. And I don't think I've got anything to do with it. I don't think I've got a problem. I think she's got a problem. I need the truth. And here's the truth. That when I'm having problems, it could be, possibly, that I am the originating source of my own pain. Or look at it this way. I am getting what I am giving. Here's the truth. I'm getting what I'm giving. Because the truth about marriage is most of the time you get what you give in the measure that you give it. I need to be honest. It hurts to be honest, doesn't it? You remember on the day of Pentecost, their hearts were pricked? But if their hearts weren't pricked, then nothing would have changed. And so what I've got to do is face the truth. I know it hurts, but you've got to face the truth that maybe the problem is that I need to change, that I need to grow, that I need to do something different. Because what I'm getting, when I check my lap, Jesus says, check your lap. What are you getting? If you have a lap full of pain and problems, there's a reason, there's a source, there's a cause. And you may not have meant for it to be, you may not intend it, you may not realize it, but possibly could it be, could it be that there's something that I'm doing or not doing that is creating these problems? Here's the way it works. The stream of love. It comes from God's heart to your heart. We love because he first loved us. It comes from God's heart to your heart. The gospel really is an invitation to receive the love of God and to live a life of love. To receive it and to give it. It then goes from your heart to her heart. Give in good measure. And most of the time, then, it comes from her heart right back into your life, right back into your lap, back into your heart. So God wants you to enjoy the very best. He wants you to have the best life possible. But to have the best, he says, you're going to have to be your best. 
Don't you want to know what it's like to experience that love and joy and peace overflowing? Give, and it will be given to you in good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. So to receive love, what do you need to do? You need to give love. You want to receive much? What do you need to do? You got to give much. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture from John chapter 7, verse 38. You're studying John. What a great study right now. He who believes in me. Do you believe in Jesus this morning? He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus said his blessings will be put into your lap. Not a drip, but a constant flow. It will be poured, in some translations, poured into your lap. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You're going to share the love of Jesus, and when you share love, it gives you the opportunity to receive more love. The love of God is always there but you're going to be a promoter of love. And that's what the gospel is all about. I want us to think this morning, just to imagine what it's going to be like when I face the truth about myself and I repent, I confess that I need to change, I need to grow, I need to be more forgiving, more loving, more respectful, more understanding. God will let the healing begin. And the flow of love will then not only come into your heart, but back into everybody's lives that he has put you in contact with. But it all begins with receiving the love of Jesus. How do you do that? You believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You repent of your sins. You must repent. Repentance is aspirational. I want a different life. I'm tired of this old life. This old husband I've been, this old parent I've been, this old man I've been, I want better. I want to love people like Jesus has loved me. I want to love Lisa like Jesus loves Lisa. I want to live a different life. And if you believe in him, Jesus said, if you believe me, you'll keep my commandments. And he's commanded you to be baptized. You cannot walk out of here today if you know him without being baptized, without that, no salvation, no transformation, no change. But the opportunity is yours. It's your brain. It's your life. It's your soul. It's your destiny. What a wonderful day this could be for you, a life-changing day. The measure matters. What is the measure of your love for God today? Will you humble yourself? Will you obey him? Will you come as we stand and sing?